the biggest fallacy of best-selling personal finance books. Okay. They tend to treat their readers like fools without willpower. So you could argue that they're wrong for the right reasons. Mm. How do you feel about that? I mean, you actually sent the article, so I actually did read it. Oh, did you really? Yeah. It's fascinating, right? It is fascinating. And um, they really dove into, you know, how how, like these best-selling books in comparison to what top economists suggest for people to do Mm -hmm. are vastly different. And the the books really try to attack your behavior uh, versus, um, you know, top economists' recommendations tell you this may be like the best choice. So let's, let's break this down. So first of all, shout out to James Troy at Yale. Yeah. Uh, he, he, this was his kind of like experiment in his baby, but. Hello friends and welcome to the Higher Standard Podcast where we give you ultra premium unfiltered truth when it comes to building your wealth and curating the lifestyle of your dreams. No games, no drama, and no shenanigans. I am your host, Chris Nahibi, and I'm here to help you distill the immense amount of information and disinformation out there on the interwebs and give you the opportunity to choose a higher standard for yourself. There are no gurus here and no one gives a damn about how wealthy you look. I'm an attorney and a banker, amongst other things. Does that mean you should listen to me? Hell no. This is just full disclosure that while we talk about money, wealth, law, investing, and a lot of related topics, you should always speak to your own advisors for an opinion tailored to your unique investment perspective. I am obligated to tell you that nothing contained in this show is in fact legal or investment advice and is being provided solely for entertainment purposes. So sit back, relax your mind, and get ready for a different kind of podcast where we elevate your baseline in crispy, high-resolution audio. This isn't a different standard. It's the higher standard. Welcome back, everyone. This is once again the higher standard. I am the Jeff Goldblum of podcasting, a.k.a. the Sasha Baron Cohen of real estate. And sitting next to me is... The Barry White of podcasting. Just because you learned the word sultry for the first time last week, shout out to the viewer who gave him a new word. Saeed Omar, your favorite co-host. <laughs> my only co-host, so it's yeah. easy to have my favorite. Exactly. This week, we've got a lot of really cool stuff to talk about in the changing landscape that is the real estate economy. And I, uh, I, I got to admit, I, things have fallen off a little faster than I thought they would. In what sense? Well, so mortgage rates have really kind of peaked back up a little bit earlier than I thought they would. And I think that has to do largely with the fact that the market is starting to reconcile, reconcile a 75 basis point increase for September being a possibility. Right. So the 30-year mortgage rate jumped from a 5.5 to about a 5.8 this last week. Mm-hmm. And that just further deteriorated demand. So the average contract interest rate for a 30-year fixed mortgage, mm-hmm. which with conforming loan balances of $647,000, $200 or less increased to 5.8% last week from 5.65% the previous week. That call, caused mortgage demands to fall even further as, as than the, the July shock that we already had. So right. you're, you're starting to see, I mean, it was already a significant fall off, but now, now you're in the 60 plus percent less business range right. for, for just interest in mortgage rates. Mm-hmm. That tapped into some, some pretty interesting rhetoric now. Okay. From where? So a number of places, but so, and this is a direct quote today, the S and P core logic case Shiller home price index, which lags reality on the ground by four to six months, finally picked up the first month to month price declines, all of them in the West, the metros of Seattle, 
San Francisco, San Diego, Los Angeles, Denver, and Portland. Right. And for those of you who want to know, are home prices going to go down? Well, it depends on who you ask. Yeah, especially a certain individual. A certain individual. But he has now made an honorary position onto the official higher standard soundboard. Saeed, do you have any guesses who this could be? No, I have no you don't? idea. Oh, yeah. Well, here we go. House prices are going to go up every year for the next five years. How do you know if you're ready to buy a house? Because if you're ready to buy a house, you need to buy now. Got to buy, buy now. Need to buy now. <laughs> now. Dave Ramsey was wrong. That is unequivocally, undeniably a fact. We are in a housing recession. All those things are well and good. There are plenty of people who said that, like Lawrence Yoon of the National Association of Realtors, a chief economist, that home prices would not go down despite being in a housing recession. Well, that is absolutely wrong. Right. And the data has now started to capture that. And the, the interesting thing is, if you guys have been watching CNBC and been watching the news, a lot of economists now are saying, hey, the things you're seeing in real time on the ground. Right looking at listings active, the p- things that people are really feeling, the data is starting to come out now. Right. So I got some data for you on that. New home sales are down 17% compared to last year this time. Mm-hmm. Existing home sales are down 20% compared to last year this mm-hmm. time. And mortgage applications are down 18%. Okay. What, what was, uh, who, who was that from? Do you know? No, I got to get the article. Okay. Well, I, I got a very similar article and data, which I'll share with you. Um, I almost feel like you jacked that for me, but it's it's okay. You no, know that, I didn't. You didn't? I'm sure. No, I think we can get data like from the same places. <laughs> <laughs> we, probably, we probably are. Well, so effectively, you're, you're absolutely right. Like the, the new homes, new homes are down. Existing home sales are down, and GDP in housing GDP is down. Right. All three of those are tremendous housing indicators. Right. And and to tell it, it, it shouldn't make me feel as good that these are down, mm-hmm. but it makes me feel really good for all the people who are saying, you know, house prices aren't going to go down. It wasn't just Dave Ramsey, although I like to pick on him because he's so easy to pick on, but right. it was a lot of people out there who were saying that this wasn't going to happen. And, and you now have everybody kind of pivoting. And I want to be cautious here now. The pivot that you're hearing now is a segue to a deeper, larger problem that's coming up in 2023. And, and I, I think it, it's undeniable at this point that we're heading into what is clearly going to be a difficult spot. And Jerome Powell has tried to, to project that to the extent that he could. Make, making it very clear that he's, they're going to be battling inflation what, by any means necessary. 1,000%. But this was from Fortune today. And I think this is probably the most prolific article I've read yet. Mm-hmm. The investment bank, talking about Goldman Sachs, now forecasts that activity in the United States housing market will end 2022 down across the board. And these are the drops that the figures that I had that were similar to yours. The firm projects sharp declines this year in new home sales of 22%, mm-hmm. existing home sales of 17%, and housing GDP of 8.9% drop. Wow. That's just this year in 2022. Right. And on top of that, if you read the rest of this article from Fortune, which I recommend everybody read, I think it was a great data, database article with no feelings. They also said that 2023 is going to be a... a, a bad year. A tough it's year, going to be right. worse than 2023. Right. And these are the numbers for 2022. This, these are the word numbers for 2022. They're projecting for year end right. and 2023 should be worse. I want to clarify. Right. They're saying what comes next is bad. That means the, the, um, the Peter Schiff's, the, yeah. the, the Patrick Bet Davids out there, these people who have been saying, ringing the alarm bells of this being a really bad economic time. Right. They were right. Yeah, exactly. And what we're going through, what we're seeing in real time on the ground, the stuff that we pulled, the data that we pulled for everybody else straight off the MLS mm-hmm. was real time data that now things like Case Shiller and all these indexes are starting to pick up four to six months later. Yeah. Yeah. 
So this is where the data gets interesting. And this is where you have to put your thinking cap on and think through. So on Friday, tomorrow, the date of this podcast, the new unemployment numbers come out. Jobs report, right? Jobs report. Then on the 13th, we have the new CPI number. Yes. There are those in the economist circles right now who are saying that this data is unequivocally going to be worse for jobs and CPI slight improvement is kind of their stance. And their suggestion is, is that we're starting to see the things we, see, we need to see move. And the real estate economy being a lagging indicator now has that lagging data coming in. And their position is the Fed should not overreact by going too heavily at interest rates right now because mm-hmm. all these things are lagging indicators. And if you move the needle on, on you know, like, for example, a 75 basis point increase, right. that you could be pushing too far now. Yeah. What say you, Chief? You still feel confident in your 75 basis points for September? Yeah. I said, I said it before the Jackson Hole meeting, mm-hmm. uh, I'm staying at 75. Um, now, I read some articles um, on some projections on the jobs report. Now, albeit less than July, July, we, they added 528,000 jobs, right? Um, it's coming out projecting around 300,000 for August. So I don't necessarily know that the jobs report is going to show anything, which is, which makes it scary because the fed has already come out saying they need that unemployment number to go up to really affect inflation. So if the data is not going to show it, then they're going to have to come even harder the next time. You know, what's crazy about that is you didn't even know that was a segue, did you? No, I did. You did? Yes. I read the show notes. Come on, man. I thought that was just inherently like beautiful. Yeah. So this was uh, a, a pretty impactful statement that I made on social media, but it's a quote, right? The conference of the conference board's August index of sentiment rose to a three-month high, and the report also showed firmer buying plans for appliances and cars. Job vacancies, meanwhile, unexpectedly increased to 11.2 million in July, close to a record. Mm-hmm. This from an article from Bloomberg about the Fed getting a new path to go big as job openings and confidence has a surprise. Right. So this data is almost a precursor to the, to the jobs report that comes out tomorrow. And it did not seem to indicate significant weakness, further bolstering this strong labor market. Right. And a lot of people are saying that this is a great thing for the economy. This is a terrible thing for the economy because this would signal that the Fed hasn't gotten the reaction that it needs to with Fed interest right. rate increases, that the housing market was the first domino, the easiest domino to fall, given how much growth it had had in the last several years, particularly the hockey stick-like gains in the last five. Right. So this is, this if this is any kind of lightning rod as to what the, the report's going to be tomorrow, I can tell you that the, the odds of there being a 75 basis point increase have gone up exponentially even now, but tomorrow right. we'll probably prove that out. Right. And the thing that bothers me the most about this is if you remember correctly, um, a couple of weeks ago when we did uh, a whole breakdown of uh, Jerome Powell's interview or when he, he stood on the podium, he was talking and he was saying how uh, labor market's strong and this isn't a real issue. But now he's saying we got to battle the labor market. We got to make that unemployment number go up. It's like you were using it to defend your position before. Now you're admitting to it being a lagging indicator. And like we need to we need to keep pushing it and making that rate go up. It's he's flip flopping right before everybody knowing. Not only flip flopping, but calling it a, quote, growth recession. Yeah. What in the actual fuck is that mean? That's a recession. You can, you can call it whatever you can call it. Uh, gumdrops and lollipops recession. I think this is why so many people get confused when they start reading this because it's he's he's lying right there in front of you. Oh, I have to use the new button. Can I use it now? Yeah. Can I use it? Y'all ready? 
If you don't know, if you don't know where that's from, do yourself a favor and go look up Key and Peel. So we're, I promise we're not going to overuse the soundboard too much. But that being said, uh, yeah, so th- there is a lot of people actually in CNBC. I saw Sarah Eisen today talking to a couple of economists. And the same question she kept asking was, do you have continued faith in the Fed doing what they say they're going to do? Right. And for the most part, the answer was yes. But the, what she's alluding to is that the Fed has said they're going to do things several times and change their rhetoric. And mm-hmm. if you go back to prior to the Fed interest rate increases, the Fed meeting about a year before was, we do not need to rate increase interest rates. And if we do, it's going to be like 50 basis points, maybe, uh, maybe 100 basis points, right. you know, 1% or you know, half a percent. Because they it, thought it was going to, inflation was transitory. Transitory. All of that has proven to be wrong. So how do you have faith in them as the leaders and the ones making the discretionary decision making as, as far as monetary policy goes, when so much of their story has changed over time with hindsight being 2020. Right. So you also have that combined with the fact that Jerome Powell believes that being a more communicative Fed mm-hmm. is, is a good thing. Well, I don't know that that's necessarily true. It, the way it used to work is the Fed minutes would speak for themselves. Right. Now he comes out and gives his press conference and talks about all the things that, that you know, answers questions and talks about all these things that, that they've discussed and kind of their thoughts. But shouldn't that just be the Fed minutes? It should be, but I think I think he's trying he's trying to do his best to take an approach where he's right in front of the people and you know it, it gives someone you know a, a face to it all. Maybe like I don't know if Volcker used to do it back in the day. Obviously, there wasn't a twenty four hour media cycle back then. But Volcker Volcker wasn't as is in front of the cameras, and you can kind of tell if you if you looked at yeah Volcker and, and his his positioning. It's not it's not exactly. But I don't I don't I I think he he's trying to do and. Like if any, if anything, an honorable thing by getting in front of the camera and answering questions because he doesn't have to do it. He's not required to do it. Uh, or he's a media whore, bro. Or he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> the fucking Fed chair, motherfucker. I, Y'all I, better recognize who no, I am. I'm pretty sure this is him, this, him parade, baby. After, after this, this is his last play. Yeah, but that doesn't mean that he doesn't want to write a book or he doesn't want notoriety. I mean, we we true. write we are we Very write true. notoriety off as like dudes on social media and like people out there, you know, in the, in the zeitgeist being cool. Yeah, but. There's and a lot of people who are older. I mean, look at how old is Grant Cardone? That guy's be, like in his fifties, right? That would be some shit if we found out Jerome Powell has a publicist. <laughs> Bro, it would not surprise me in the slightest if he finished up his job, wanted to write books, and tell about his experiences. And yeah, a quick, else. a quick payday. I, I don't even know if it's quick payday. It's like, look, like you were in, you were in the room. Mm-hmm. You know, when these yeah. decisions were made. Who knows where we'll be in 10, 15 years, and what the story will be? But he's been in the room as a key decision maker. People want to hear that story at some point in time. I'm not saying that's driving his focus. I'm not saying he's not a, a serious economist and, you know, a talented man. But I'm just saying, like, you can't discount the fact that there, there is desirability to be in front of a camera. I am. I mean, speaking of decision making, I mean, some companies are making some pretty big decisions. Mm. The layoff train continues, which is still fucking strange to me that we continue to hear these names of big companies having big shifts. Mm-hmm. And yet this, quote, labor market stuff is, is apparently so strong and as somebody who's steeped in this, I, I, I'm seeing layoffs left and right. I think the, the most recent was Snapchat, 20%. Snapchat's lashing 20% of its staff. And there were some arguments there that they've, they've been needing to do that for quite some time. But that being said... I this, mean, if they needed to do it for quite some time, they chose an odd time to do it. Right. I think Bed Bath & Beyond. Bed Bath right? & Beyond, closing 150 stores. Yeah. And they've, they've had a troubled stock for a long time. Uh, and Jim Cramer <laughs> has been all over them for a while. And I don't want to say that he was right. 
But there's a lot of people who made money off him, him being wrong on, in the past. I don't think mm-hmm. he was that wrong on this one. I think he's, I never got the appeal for a show. It was just too chaotic. I hate that show. Yeah. I hate that guy. I don't know who so watches that show. It makes me feel like I could have a TV show. <laughs> matter of fact, if any of the producers out there listen to this show at any point in time, what the fuck are you thinking? Why don't you have two guys on or me? I'll be just being in control of the soundboard. No, you can't control the soundboard. We, we already saw what happens. Now we got, I said, reading rainbow. <laughs> we do have reading rainbow. That's only when I fuck up reading though. It's different. Right. So I, I think there's, there's a, a dramatic pivot in the job market, but I'm sitting here looking at stuff going, okay, well, jobs are a lagging indicator. If it take four to six months to really hit real time data, which shouldn't be the case, we should start seeing the impacts of this stuff on, on reporting, but we haven't really seen it yet. But then again, jobs, we started, I started seeing this and you started, you and I started commenting on it in about January. Mm-hmm. Started having conversations and then February, March, definitely a lot more. And then April, we're in August. So it really took closer to seven, eight months, I think, to see the housing lag. Right. So I think we really started to see layoffs in late June, early July. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's going to take about seven, eight months to, to really see the impacts of these companies doing these things in the data. I would say that's an uncharacteristically long period of time. But after 14 years of artificial interest rate deflation, maybe that's, maybe that's how you get elasticity back in the economy. Maybe these are just how the lacking indicators report. Right. I, I don't know. This is all unprecedented time, but it is very bizarre how there is this this auspice, this, this, this weird fakeness to the job numbers right now. We all know it's not good. No, we all know it's not good and it's only going to get worse. And I'm, I'm predicting that also the numbers themselves aren't going to show to be that, that poor. But um, as the year goes on and bleeding into 2023, I think that's when you're going to really see unemployment numbers pick up. The funny thing about that, though, is when you think about the context that everybody out there who is not a recession, you know, believer mm-hmm. they're all saying that 2023 is gonna be better blah 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 blah. this like behavioral economics is mania which drives me absolutely fucking crazy like mm-hmm. this absolute just open denial of what's necessary in order to, to so let's be real clear and we do this again i think probably this on every other show at this point if inflation comes down unemployment goes up mm-hmm. if unemployment is not going up inflation is not coming down in a significant degree Right. That, that is just the way that works. Those, that's essentially an inverse relationship. Mm-hmm. A growth recession is a farce. It's a logical fallacy. Right. You cannot be in a recession and have growth. Yeah, exactly. That just, that's just telling you right there that whatever they're trying to get accomplished isn't working. So they're going to need to either, you know. Well, there was never a possibility squeeze, of a soft squeeze. landing. That was bullshit. Right. Yeah, there's no soft serving. But the, the quantitative tightening is going to have to become a lot tighter. Mm-hmm. Right. And well, I mean, even even if and here's where it gets interesting politically, if the Fed wanted to point to the government and say they're working against us, that's why we can't control inflation. They could absolutely do that right now. Right. Absolutely do that. You know, I thought about some of the inflation reduction. But then that would but then that would really impact the upcoming election. Like we said before, that they're not in the position to do that. They're not in the position to do that. But at the same time, you can easily say without without picking a side, you don't have to be a Democrat or Republican to say, you know, guys, stop printing fucking money. Yeah. Like, stop doing that shit. Yeah. I, th- I, was, I was beginning to say, the Inflation Reduction Act, I thought a thought the other day, right? Mm-hmm. We're hiring you know, 87,000 new employees with about $80 billion from the Inflation Reduction Act to get... Oh, the IRS. The IRS staffed right. up so they can, quote, go after these wealthy you know, tax avoiders, which in reality will be everybody else but the wealthy because they have these high-end professionals. Mm-hmm. I thought to myself, what are we doing? Why wouldn't... The tax code is arguably archaic... And mm-hmm. overcomplex. Overcom- I mean, it's, it's written for the wealthy. It's written for the wealthy. It's arguably hard to, to do 
It's not like a flat tax system and there's lots of nuance and complications to it. Wouldn't that money be way better spent making that much more simple? Right. Like, let's spend the money building a better algorithm. Right. But the, but the people that are trying to present themselves as such that they're defending or representing lower to moderate income, you know, voters or individuals are benefiting from this wealthy tax code as well. So they're never going to push to get that done either. They had a chance with that, to use their reconciliation instead of passing this Inflation Reduction Act to uh, reintroduce and change some of the tax reform, but mm-hmm. they didn't. No, yeah, no, they, they didn't. don't. I mean, it's because nobody really wants the reform. Right. They just want to make this a money making. They, they just want to position themselves. We're not going to get into politics, but. Well, it, I'm just saying, like, yeah. it just seems. $80 billion is a lot of money. It's a lot of money, man. I know they're projecting. And here's the thing. They're projecting. 200, I know. To bring back 200 billion. But yeah. that's a projection that doesn't necessarily mean that they are going to close on that. No, absolutely. And, and you can imagine how this could, this could be impacted. But so another, another thing that's coming up, I don't like the idea of printing money and giving people. So states are talking about giving out stimulus checks for inflation right now, which hopefully that doesn't happen. But people have been talking about it. You know my sentiment on Brian Moynihan, CEO of Bank of America. Oh my God. You sent me this. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe what I was reading. I thought it was a joke. No, I, I, I was, it was the, the PR was handled terribly. So this is right. the way the article came across, right? Bank of America announces zero payment mortgages for black and Latino home buyers. Right. And it goes on to explain it. But so to explain a little bit how banking works, I think it's important because a lot of people ask me questions on this. Right. And look, I think on the offset, I'll say, I think, I think it's positioned to try and help, but I think it's a little tone deaf. Well, the, the, yeah, the tone deafness of this is, is, is unbelievable. So I don't like things like the student debt forgiveness because it treats similarly situated people differently. I mm-hmm. think it's unconstitutional. I don't think it's fair. Right. Right. That's the government discriminating. So that's a different constitutional argument. You know, can Bank of America discriminate? Well, in some ways... Yes, but this is not the way. You should not do race-based discrimination in how you do things. It's crazy. They should have said, we want to service low to moderate income areas. Yeah. It, and wh- people with certain low income, we will offer this program for. Right. It doesn't matter if they're white or black or, oh, yeah, or, or Latino yeah. or whatever you want to call or them. Asian or Middle Eastern or yeah, whatever. It, it, shouldn't, it shouldn't fucking matter. Right. But the way this works is if you're a consumer-based bank like Bank of America, you are beholden to certain regulatory tests and one of the tests and i'm going to water down the explanation to make it very simple yeah because i was wondering how are they getting away with this well i don't know if they're going to get away with it per se mm-hmm. but there, there's a lot of uh rights activist groups that are focused on uh hispanic culture african-american culture that that may be you know kind of pushing a little bit of this rhetoric in the back end but what most likely happened was is they failed some of their compliance tests where they're lending more to rich white people, for example, oh, as opposed wow. to other ethnicities. Mm-hmm. There's a reason why they carved out Asian, right? So right. Th- there's, there's a particular reason why they're doing this. And they probably failed some of those demographic okay. tests. And they probably decided internally with, when meeting with the regulators that they were not making enough loans to African-American and Hispanic people. So, and this is their way of this growing a re- that a base. Recom- a recommendation, not that to pass this type of policy, but that you need to be lending to these type of people. You need to continue, because you if you're taking in deposits in anywhere that you consider your primary lending area, anywhere right. you have a branch, you have to put those deposits back out to work in the communities in that, that you community, serve. In that community, correct. So if you take, um, and this, this, is a, this is only an example, this is not really to, to, to be discriminatory. If you take 
money in from a primarily African-American neighborhood, but you lend it out in the form of loans to less riskier candidates in a Caucasian neighborhood who have a wealthier profile, right. that's not fair or just, and it's prohibited under regulations. Right. Which makes complete sense. Right. So the idea is that you serve the communities that you're taking money in as it deposits back out as loans, because regardless of where the money comes from, you should be taking on the risk profile that's, that's there because those are your depositors, yeah. right? Service that community. Right. And th there's a lot of reasons why these are all good rules to have. But this is not the way to execute on that. No, no, no. Right? First of all, there are plenty of African-American and Latino and Hispanic people that are wealthy. Mm -hmm. Right? That don't need this kind of help. Right. There are plenty of white people, Caucasian people, or Asian people, or Middle Eastern people who need this kind of help. Right. To carve out a program for zero down for just two ethnicities in a press release is absolutely yeah, fucking I hope, I hope that, deaf. I, I hope that there was a lot of oversight there and that they didn't also mention that it'll be servicing these, this group, these groups with lower to moderate income as well. I don't care what the situation is. This was completely poorly done. Yeah. They, they, they should, they should have internally maybe have had their conversation with, and somebody internally from Make America reached out to me and told me that they were, they were told to push products to these ethnic minorities. Mm -hmm. There was more than just these two right. uh, internally. Yeah. And to push them to products because they quote needed them. So there's, there's gotta be a compliance need there, but, this is not the way to do it. So to give you an example of a program that we offer mm -hmm. is we do low to moderate income. And there's, there's two different pro programs for like uh, Habitat for Humanity people, right? Love that. And they, they, it's low, low and low mod. So if you're low, low, basically Habitat Humanity gives you, um, they basically reverse engineer your loan based on what you can afford after you go through their programs and their assist. You have to qualify, right? You have to qualify. And th that's similar to what Bank of America is trying to do with their program. We have to qualify, go through these courses. They work with some local community groups to make mm -hmm. sure that people are re prepared for this and in theory, it would, it would help them not default. Yeah. But in a situation like with Habitat for Humanity, generally speaking, you get the local chapter, if not the national chapter, to want to buy back that because no bank wants to foreclose on a Habitat for Humanity home. Right. And, and we don't want to be taking that away from the community of people who could be using it in the worst case event of a foreclosure. I really like the Habitat Humanity, uh, for Humanity model too. Isn't it, don't they um, require them to also like put in some sweat equity as well? Yeah, yeah, they do. They work on other people's projects as well I as love their own. That. And it's, it's, it's a really cool thing. But most people don't know about this program. And I didn't, I certainly didn't know when we got involved was as a corporation, you can't just go and volunteer. You actually have to pay for that experience. Yeah. It's not as simple as you just go in there and doing yeah, it. Like yeah, you think yeah. charitable, but that's actually a money-making revenue stream yeah. for Habitat. And it's a good thing for your company to have that, you know. Yeah. Kind of and bonding. I think, I think, cause I actually wanted to, um, you know, give some time and to go, to go be a part of that. You have to do it like on company hours, right? Yeah, you so your company has to sponsor it. They have to pay for it. Yeah. And then you have to do it during, during company hours. And your company actually gets like, there's credit for it that, you know, you right. can get. But you can't company. do it like on a Saturday or Sunday. Like you got to do it like during a normal working day, nine to five. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It, it's it's a much more complex thing because they're, the companies get benefits, particularly like banks and community development and stuff like that. that that's really important. And, and banks have certain things they have to donate mm -hmm. to. And so that there's a lot of reasons why for a banking type environment, that makes a lot of sense. Right. Uh, but a lot of a lot of different people get involved in it. But it, 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 there's a lot of charitable benefits, and obviously the donations are right off too. So right. the company has some tax benefits. So. Right, right. But you know that's that's a better way to do these things. And there's there's plenty of organizations organizations that can facilitate. But this was just absolutely stupid. I could not believe. And this was goes to show you Brian Moynihan. Yeah, <laughs> the bank nerd that everybody talks yeah, yeah. about. Yeah, he clearly is out of touch with this. And if it hit his hit his desk, he glanced right over it. Man, I don't, I don't even know that it did or it didn't, but I'll tell you that it was, it was just really, really, really weird. So, I got some 
kind of off topic things to talk about that I think are, are interesting. Okay. And, and I don't know if, if you want to jump into it or not, but um, the biggest fallacy of best-selling personal finance books. Okay. They tend to treat their readers like fools without willpower. So you could argue that they're wrong for the right reasons. Mm. How do you feel about that? I mean, you actually sent the article, so I actually did read it. Oh, did you really? Yeah. It's fascinating, right? It is fascinating. And um, they really dove into, you know, how how, like these best-selling books in comparison to what top economists suggest for people to do Mm -hmm. are vastly different. And the the books really try to attack your behavior uh, versus, um, you know, top economists' recommendations tell you this may be like the best choice. So let's, let's break this down. So first of all, shout out to James Troy at Yale. Yeah. Uh, he, he, this was his kind of like experiment in his baby, but using an example I know everybody's going to love by naming our favorite personal finance personality, mm-hmm. which is an absolute bullshit name. <laughs> but popular authors such as Dave Ramsey have suggested a nearly opposite approach. According to Ramsey's debt snowball method, that's, that's actual term he uses. Mm-hmm. You should pay off your debt from smallest to largest, gaining motivation and momentum as you zero out your accounts. This is far from the cheapest strategy for eliminating debt. Ramsey admits as much, but his debt snowball method isn't about technical efficiency. It's about building willpower. Mm -hmm. When people overwhelmed by their debt see a small account hit zero, it's so rewarding that they're motivated to continue paying down their larger balances. Look, and that very well, very well could be true, right? And if, if, that, if that's what it's going to take you to, to do it, then by all means, you know what I mean? But it's, you, have to, you have to have that honest conversation with yourself and know that although that this worked for me, that, wa- that wasn't the best decision. I should have tackled something with a higher interest rate first. Okay, so Choi goes on, right? Okay. And you're going to love this example. He emphasized that he doesn't necessarily think that Ramsey's approach is strategically wrong. And I don't either, frankly. Right. As much as I would love to take a shot across yeah. about Ramsey, I don't think it's wrong. I think yeah, it, psychology and behavior stuff, it's, yeah. it's really important. So even though it is technically fallacious, that's his word, not mm-hmm. mine. I think of it as like a diet and exercise. You can tell people to eat broccoli and steamed chicken for their whole life. Right. Or you can tell people about cheat meals to get their buy-in so that they're more motivated to stay on the diet. Right. You know, I mean, it makes a whole hell of a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. And I've actually heard, you know, our favorite health and fitness podcast and the Mind Pump guys always talk about this a lot. They said, you know, once that light bulb went off for them that for some clients, it's really tackling the psychology and the behavior behind it. You know, there's no different here, you know, but you got to at some point you have to have an honest, honest conversation with yourself and say, you know, what's the best approach, you know, for us to handle this. See, this, this is what bothers me. This is the part that bothers me a lot. Okay. And this is where I get in trouble with a lot of these gurus online. Mm-hmm. And I disagree so much from the economic basis. I would rather somebody say in their course, this is not the best financial. You should be paying off your higher debt first. Yeah. Because the interest on in that higher debt is going to just cost you more money. As opposed to your lower balances earning the same interest or equivalent around approximately the same amount is going to be less dollars out of your pocket. Right. I get the behavioral economics. I, I completely understand the approach. But I think that you owe your fans, your readers, people who take your guru advice, mm-hmm. the benefit of honesty and transparency. Right. This is better for you, but yeah. I believe you should do this. Yeah. 
because this will give you a better psychological play. I don't think telling people about the the, the psychology you're taking advantage of to sell them mm-hmm. is inappropriate. Right. I, I think if anything, it's authentic and genuine. Yet every single fucking guru I see online doesn't do that. I will say Alex Ramosi is pretty good about talking about the psychology of sales and stuff like that. Although I'm not a fan just because I haven't met him and I don't really, I don't really get his whole thing, but. Mm-hmm. That being said, he's well liked, and he does talk about the psychology behind a lot of the things that people do. So, right. you know, I, I respect that. But yep. you don't see a lot of people that are the, these gurus that are taking advantage of these psychological cues to sell you something be intellectually honest with you to tell you why they're doing what they're doing. Right. I can appreciate a conversation with somebody, and this is just me speaking personally. If I go to someone with for some financial advice or help with anything. If they can give me the raw truth up front and say, hey, man, this is the way you tackle it first and this is what you need to do. This is the best case scenario, right? Um, now, what it's going to take you to get that snowball rolling, if you will, that's a whole nother conversation. I can talk to you like a kid, but treat you like an adult. Wow, that's hurtful. Wow. I feel like you don't really mean that, though. I do mean you that. Wanna, you want to play a little experiment? Okay. All right, let's use the exercise one as an example. All right. I can tell you're working out, but you're not committed to it. What does that mean? I know that you would like to see better results from your workouts and mm-hmm. you being a thick boy, you're not on a diet. <laughs> I have been tracking. You have been tracking? Yeah. Have you seen progress? I have seen progress. Mm-hmm. Photos. I'll send you the photos. Uh, please do. <laughs> yeah. Belly button exposed? Yeah. Oh, yeah, baby. Oh, then I'll, yeah, okay. Yeah. But that, that's exactly the same point, right? We all know what it takes on a diet. Yeah, we all know what it takes. I don't takes. think people want you to say, if someone came up to me, and say, hey, man, you look like you're gaining weight. Mm-hmm. My first reaction is, fuck you. Well, first of all, like, you got to, we're not, you, that person has to be close enough to you. Like, you don't just have the access to just come okay, and tell me. But people, people can see your weight. They can't see your wallet. Right. Well, I'm also, you, you're not seeking that advice from people. If you're seeking that advice, that's a whole other conversation. Dude, people hit me up all the time talking about money stuff. Okay. Well, then at that point, if, they, if they're seeking it from you, then you have a right to be like, okay, then I want to ask you X, Y, and Z, and I'll provide me that information. Which and I do. If, and but if you're not willing to have you, an honest conversation. What I will tell you is it's not uncommon for someone to hit me up and ask for financial advice and then challenge my advice, which I don't necessarily mind because it's intellectually stimulating. Right. But at the same time, it comes down to, did you hit me up to get confirmation of what you already wanted to do? Yeah. Or did you hit me up to hear my opinion on what I would do? And I mean, I think most people are, gu- are guilty of this. And I'm, you and I are probably guilty of this too, to some extent that we're not even unaware of. People are always searching confirmation bias. Yeah, I mean, I try to the extent that I can. Not we try that, not but, to. I know, exactly. But it's, but it's hard not to have it when everybody in the economy is an economist right now is saying, hey, man, real estate values are going down. The economy is changing. I'm like, I told you. And another I re- told you. An- another reason why these algorithms are the devil. The devil. And I stay away from them. The algorithms are the devil. Yeah. yeah. The social media algorithms he's referring to and the fact that he doesn't have a presence online. Yeah, exactly. Is that, is that, is that what you're referring right. to specifically? Right. right. My presence online is the social You know we're going to change that. Why don't you so- give in, dude? Sultry voice. Give in. I might eventually if the demand is there. I'm sure, I'm sure most people but won't afford- find you as hideous as you think you but, are. But affordability. <laughs> <laughs> you're, not, you're not ugly, bro. No, I'm not. You're you're mildly normally lo- normal looking. I'm a great looking girl. Don't, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. The you're, only you're way projecting. Know, I, I've always had like this weird self image. I've always thought I was too goddamn yeah. sexy. It's crazy. That's all right. I'm off the market. I'm happy. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's not true. <laughs> yes, it is. 
<laughs> I'm going to try to ruin your marriage from yeah, here. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> your wife going to hear this and call you back and be, what does he mean that's not true? It's not a yeah, joke, is it? Yeah, yeah. What it's if, not a joke. It, <laughs> <laughs> we were talking before the show. Right. He's super happy. Right. Yeah. No, I got you. So, um, any updates on the studio? You want to give people the updates on the studio? Yeah, we went shopping to to pick furniture. Oh, no, I was going to say that. Chris did a whole bunch of painting. I did do a whole bunch of painting on the studio. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that and then today we went shopping. So the studio should be up soon. But uh, yeah, we're, right now we're podcasting from a 105 degree hot garage. Yeah. And I got to tell you, I'm going to miss looking at your sweaty ass when we do this. this is, that's not, it's not a sweaty ass. This is the natural oils coming from my yeah, face it, because my bad. skincare has it, been so good lately. My skincare has not been so good lately. Yeah, I've been on top of it. Have you really? Retinol and everything, baby. Have you been using retinol? Oh, yeah. yeah every night? Yeah, every night. Good, good for you. Yeah. Let me tell you right now, Botox is better. <laughs> you use Botox? Oh, uh, yeah. Fuck yeah. Well, don't, don't say it. Don't say it like it's Bro, not I a got, problem. I got, yeah. a scar. I got a scar on my forehead, man. Yeah, it's preventative, man. Huh? What does that mean? I have a scar. So when I, scar when I, I lift uh, my eyebrow up, you can see like the lump above my left so eyebrow. So that just, just means you have to get Botox? Why not just own the scar? No, but whenever I'm on like television or doing kind of social media stuff and I raise my eyebrows, that big like lump pops out and people go, what the fuck's wrong with his face, man? Yeah. So is that the Botox? Botox? Uh, what do you mean? Why, what do you mean the lump? I've never noticed it. Oh, the lump is, is not, you normally don't notice it because I get Botox. I just haven't had it in a while. So uh, normally I when see. I raise my eyebrows, you don't see it. But if I don't have Botox, you see the why? scar. This why bump don't you just own the scar? I did. But I then respect you, I, you a little bit more for that. No, no, it's all good. But it, it's just like one of those things where, you know, fuck you. How about yeah, that? Yeah, how, yeah, how about yeah. That? That's what I was aiming yeah. for. Yeah. How, how long does it take for you to get there? How about that? Yeah. Catch me outside. How about that? That should be on the soundboard. Dude, that girl... By 50, the way, 52 million last year, OnlyFans. 52 million. Are you are you gonna open an Only OnlyFans? I well, I was excited to go check it out because you know <laughs> what 50, if you're making 52 million dollars, you were gonna I check wanna, out the Bad Babies uh, OnlyFans. Is that what if you made 52 million dollars last year? Like yeah. I'm morbidly curious. Like, do you look that good? In, I heard it's not even nude though. Yeah, I have no idea. Shut up. I swear to God, you know how much money she made. You know who she is, but you don't. No. You didn't Google any of this Bro, stuff. You, you swear, like nobody has wrote an article about this girl, dude. 52 million. Who the hell is paying for this? Did you just figure this out now? Yes, dude. This is this is like six months old. God damn, man. 52 million last year on OnlyFans and crushing. Yeah, we need to get me and OnlyFans with my short shorts. It just goes to show you, man, like it it just takes like hype and you can make a lot of money with the right kind of audience. Damn. Loyalty and audience is 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 unbelievable. There's some great books on on building your customer base of the first like thousand like followers or listeners or or subscribers. Uh Uh-huh. But once you have like that loyal base, they will stand by you and they will support you. And she 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 turned what was a really embarrassing Dr. Phil like situation. It, the internet turned her into a meme and she turned it into a career. Yeah. Like, you can say what you want. Like, I don't know if she's a good rapper, bad rapper. I don't know if she's really posting nudes or not. I don't give a damn. I don't know anything about her some, other than that Dr. Phil interview. Someone behind her was sophisticated enough to recognize the cash opportunity. Right. And they grabbed and they grabbed well. Yeah, she was apparently screenshotting like receipts and all that too, right? Mm-hmm. Right. No, she screenshotted her OnlyFans account, showed her revenue for the year. God damn. And everyone's like, well, that's not fake. <laughs> I yeah. mean, what are you going to do? Yeah. And then you can also kind of back in OnlyFans because I think some people's accounts tell you how many subscribers they have and you just go, what, what is their you know, monthly cost? And then you yeah. just do the math and times 12. It's it's pretty easy. So it, it's been, yeah, verified check. Like she, she's legit made $52 million last year. Right. Damn. God damn. I'll tell you right now, no one paid me 52 cents to see a nude picture of me. 
<laughs> no, 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 it would not, not happen. Yeah, exactly. You're gonna have but to pay a whole lot of money to get it up there. You see that Kanye went off on his uh, social media. Like, God damn no, it! Dan, this I don't this have is the problem media, with you, me, man. I'm, I'm interested about Kanye. Tell me about he, what he, happened. He broke off today, and I guess he was upset about his kids or something like that. And he's been fighting with Adidas. Kanye got a, Kanye got upset again. Doesn't surprise me. Yeah, but he but he posted this erratic way, which is really interesting because if you don't like follow him throughout the day, yeah, you miss it because what he'll do is he'll post to his actual feed, yeah, right, and then he'll delete it. Some people are saying uh, it's like a, like a bipolar thing. I think it's actually smarter. I think what he's doing is he's using social media in a way people don't. So if you're not up to date with him posting, you're not on social media, you right. could miss it. I think I think that's just another genius play on by his part. But he was posting some weird stuff. Like he was he was first of all he's he, like he'll post screenshots like Kim sends him mm-hmm. or somebody sends him saying like hey don't do this or don't do that. He'll like post it and be like what now? Yeah, like God did. <laughs> like yeah. he just, uh, you know, he does no. like all this stuff. Like it's it's crazy. But he was put. He called himself, um, this is terrible, but he called him, uh, Travis, and Scott uh, cum donors. Oh, my God. Like, just, it was ruthless. Like, he's going, I mean, like, yeah, I understand see, if you guys feel taken advantage of, but that ain't the way to do it. Because some, some of them have kids that are old enough to read that shit. Dude, you guys, yeah, you, your kids will grow up to read this shit one day. Well, I mean, he takes it all down, but this, the, the internet doesn't forget, man. No, no. no the internet does not. not forget. So, no. to, to finish up on the studio thing, uh, we will... Uh, hopefully have the video side of this set up in the not too distant future. So for those of you out there who prefer podcasts on YouTube, we're going to offer two different variants of it. It'll be a a video uh, drop the same day as the audio drop on uh, both Spotify and everywhere else that podcasts are and, and, mm-hmm. and Apple Podcasts. But we'll also break down some clips, which will give you shorter snapshots uh, of kind of discussion points of things we talk about from the actual show. And then obviously pieces that are outside of that, that we do individually. Right. Looking forward uh, to it, man. It's exciting. You should be, cause I got a nice wide angle, 10 millimeter lens for you. Mm-hmm. So it's going to make you look even thicker than you actually are. <laughs> so but yeah, proportional. So it'll be the lens's fault. No. Yeah. Uh, I like to call it a true life lens. Yeah. So tell me, are you going to wear these, uh, Supreme, that's the one sure. problem with doing a video podcast. We actually have to get dressed now. We can't come in here looking like fat hobos. I mean, we might be able to do that anyway, but still. Right. I'm just going to say, it's going it's to be weird. It's going it's gonna, to, yeah. I swear to God, you come looking pretty and shit, like makeup we're, on, I'm going to slap you. Yeah, exactly. I will slap we're the shit out of you. We're going to need consistent haircuts now. You get consistent haircuts every day. Uh, no, I mean. Speaking of which. Every 10 days. No. Said and I stumbled upon uh, some discrimination from the barber. <laughs> no discrimination on my part. So I was told to reschedule my appointment from two thirty. Thank you, Andy. Down we go to we go to, to the same to, to barber. Everybody, I introduced Chris to the barber. No, I introduced you to the barber. Don't, bro. don't he was, do I know Andy uh, since back in the day, at John's Barber Lounge. Me bro. too. Don't come me, at me, too like that. me too. Bro, who the fuck sent you there in the first place? Don't be that guy. Don't, oh, come this on. is why I call you Kim Jong Un. You fucking listen, terrorist. Like this is listen. not appropriate. So so go ahead, finish the story. So anyway, he reschedules me. I, I try to do everything I can. Like right, my son goes there, your son goes there. Like you mm. know, it's a family affair. Dude, my son's on the front cover of his he Yelp page. Clearly, di- what? Yeah, you didn't know that, did um, you? So my son's ugly. No, it just happens. That Adam's Adam's on the front cover of the Yelp page. <sighs> Jesus. <laughs> so yeah, and your photo is in the barbershop. I look at your face every time I get a haircut. Exactly. I'm on the wall, dude. Of course, I'm gonna get priority over you. He likes Why though? Because I'm a better conversationalist. No, because huh? I'm a <laughs> yeah. Yes, he, he has to be careful with your hair transplant. <laughs> no, I'm a better conversationalist. That's all it is. He enjoys my conversations more than he does yours. All right, that's what he told me. Don't hate me. Hate him. He did not say that to you. He did say that he to me. He says he likes me more than you. That I believe. Yeah, yeah. but he didn't say it to you. <laughs> it's an unknown thing. Like you know, you don't say that about me. Come on, man. I got feelings. That's okay. That's all right. Well, I love you though. No, you don't. Sometimes. Well, it's a good thing you're a good conversationalist. That's why you brought on the show in the first place. But 
Let's not lie. <laughs> You're only here for your sultry voice, and I'm an arrogant piece of shit. <laughs> you, you are still arrogant. <laughs> what an arrogant asshole. This guy, arrogant, everybody, arrogant. I see some, some Air Jordans drop on the Nike app. And I no, said, no, 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 no. This is not fair, bro. This is, this is fair. Let me tell you, the preface this. So I see some Jordans drop on, on the Nike app. I wasn't privy to it. And I saw it and it had just dropped 15 minutes before, before I saw it. I'm like, wow, what lucky timing on my part. I see nice colorway. They're high tops. They're retros. This is great. White and gray. Versatile. You could wear it with all your clothes. Mm-hmm. What do I do? Good friend. I go on the website. Damn. Size 10 and a half sold out. My size is gone. But what do I do? I see, oh, size 13 is available. Chris will like this. Screenshot sent to Chris. Get yourself a pair and buy Joanna a pair too. What do you do? I sent you the picture of the pair that I already bought. <laughs> bought five minutes before and said, this ain't my first rodeo. What an arrogant <laughs> piece of shit. How about thank you for thinking about me, man? That was so nice look, of you. Like, I'm sorry. Like, look, First of all, the sneakers app is no joke, man. If you're not up to date, they, they sell out that shit all the time. You know it's a whack-ass colorway when some dudes like you find it 15 minutes later. <laughs> yeah, okay, let's, let's just it's start not the whack well, Come on, it was a nice colorway. You no, bought it. No, I bought that for a base pair that I can change later on and something else. Like, I bought that as my hoochie pair. Come on. Like, that's, a, that's not a pair that I wear, like, out. Like, that's not my... The, the pair to get this year is they have a, a Chicago's. We should have Chicago, bought... We should imagine. Those are going to be dope. Those are going to be dope. But we should have bought a pair and sent them to Doug. I don't think Doug's a Jordan guy. I know, I but we could, we got to make him a Jordan guy. That's the thing. I think he's a Hoka guy. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he knows, bro. He talks to those guys. Does he? Yeah, running running ain't for him. Yeah, running ain't for me either. Yeah. But, all right, look. So, he's playing with his finger while he's talking to me. It's getting real awkward in here. So, we're going to call this a wrap for this week. And uh, we'll catch you next week. But before we let you go, we're going to take you out on an old school throwback song. Many of you have heard the references to Reading Rainbow and heard the, that I can't read consistently, apparently, on the show. Chris probably because I don't wear my glasses. This is Chris dating himself yet again. I talked to uh, our new executive assistant, and, <laughs> and I tried to explain to her. I'm like, hey, you know what Reading Rainbow is? She's like, no. Or you able to ask her how old she is without it being uh, an HR issue? She told me. She, I think she's 30 or turning 30 or something. Yeah, like she's, 30, she's, she's not going to catch. You're dating yourself. No one's going to catch this reference. So she heard me playing the song in the office because I was editing up the audio for this. And she's like, why do you keep playing that song? And I'm like, I like it. I played it. And I'm like laughing my ass off. And she's like, I don't, what do you, <laughs> <What>? <laughs> and I'm like, damn, she's 30. She should know. Yeah. So I'm like, damn, I'm that old. So with that, this is LeVar Burton's children's show. It was Jordy LaForge on Star Trek. Don't judge me for knowing that. This is his children's show where he taught kids how to read. And this was the intro and the outro. Butterfly in the sky, I can go twice as high. Take a look, it's in a book, a reading rainbow. See you next week, kids. Bye. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation on the Higher Standard Podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe or follow on whatever platform you are listening to this on. If you like this episode, please write a review and share it with us. You're getting the show up and running right now, so every message, every review, and every note counts. This show exists to showcase what's possible when leaders decide to uphold a higher standard for their businesses, their investments, their families, and most importantly, themselves. If you want to see more of my content, I post daily on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. So be sure to follow me on your favorite social media platform. And with that, it is a wrap. And as always, I look forward to hanging with you all on the next episode.